as we do, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K through third grade, they can meet in the back for Children's Church. If you're brand new, we are working our way through a series on the topic of prayer. We are learning to pray with some of the greatest prayer warriors in the scriptures. We're learning to confess our sins. We're learning to rely on the strength and power of God. We are learning to humble ourselves. We are learning to be filled with all of God's love. And we are doing that by looking at these prayers. Today we have Daniel's prayer from Daniel chapter 9. Now, before we read the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of a life update. Uh, and first of all, I'll begin by thanking you for the celebration we had last Sunday, celebrating our 10-year anniversary here at Pinewoods Church. Many of you, thank you. Many of you have asked me if I was surprised, and the answer is yes. I knew nothing. Uh, I walked into the potluck not knowing why we were having a potluck, but just thankful because I like potlucks. And as far as I'm concerned, we can do one every week. And so when, it, when somebody says, hey, we're having a potluck, I don't ask questions. I'm like, I'm there. Let's do it. So thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for the dog. We have named her Ruthie. I think, Lily, do you have some pictures of the dog on the screen? Oh, back it up one. we got to back up one. This is us receiving the dog. Uh, there she is sleeping on the Roomba in the next one. Uh, I think we have a couple more. Oh, look at that little face. She is sweet. And there she is in the yard. Now, we decided to name her Ruthie because some of you may remember this. The very first sermon I ever preached at this church was from the book of Ruth. And I made the bold move of saying, if you want to hear the rest of the series, you have to call me to be the pastor of your church. <laughs> now, set myself for the all, up for the all-time backfire there, but it all worked out, and so that was the first uh, series through Ruth. We, I've been watching many, many Caesar Milan videos and learning to do discipline, uh, and I have a new church discipline technique. Uh, if any of you is in sin, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and go, and uh, <laughs> hopefully that'll solve the problem, okay? We had one session meeting since having the dog, and so far, so good. Uh, we have, I, it's been so sweet, I've been walking with the dog and talking with people about the dog. I've been able to share the gospel with like three different people as I walk around and tell the people, I was like, well, this dog is a gift from my church. And they, they're like, what? And they can't even believe it, you know? And I've, I've talked, uh, I talked to a gal in PetSmart. I'm pretty sure she was not a believer at all, but she said, oh my goodness, I've got goosebumps of hearing this story, and then telling about Ruth, and then the story of Ruth. I was at the, a waterfront rescue mission and shared the gospel with like three guys talking about Ruth. They'd never read Ruth before, talking about the steadfast love of the Lord, and how God was merciful to Ruth, even though she was sort of a square peg in a round hole, and how I feel that way sometimes, and I'm sure they do, and 
how God is so gracious. So I know that was, it was not like a gimmick for evangelism, but it has turned out to be a great bridge for telling people about how beautiful the church can be and how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Yesterday, today, and forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Amen? All right, well, let's, uh, enough about me. Let's get into Daniel. Now, his church gave him some lions, so uh, <laughs> not exactly, not exactly. Don't tell anyone in the presbytery I said that. <laughs> all right, Daniel 9. Let's begin with verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to verse 19. This is God's word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous 
in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, because for our sins, And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open our eyes and see our desolations and this and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord, our God, I pray that you would hear our prayer as we pray along with your servant, Daniel. I pray, Lord, that you would be merciful to us. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive our sins Lord, we have no righteousness of our own to bring, and yet we cling to the cross of Jesus Christ where we find an alien righteousness, an imputed righteousness, a gift righteousness that is ours by faith. Thank you, Lord God, for our adoption, and we ask, Lord God, that you would speak, for we, your servants, listen, hear our prayer, through Jesus, and in your spirit. Amen. I am a Calvinist. That means that I am the life of the party. It means that I read many obscure books written by people with names like Gearhardist and Doiveard and your sinus, and Lee, child, the guy who wrote the Jack Reacher novels. My favorite flowers are, of course, tulips. And every October 31st, I celebrate Reformation Day by dressing up like Elvis and walking around my neighborhood with my children, asking the neighbors for candy just like Martin Luther did. I also believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. I believe that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. I believe that God is omniscient, all-knowing. I believe that as Christians, we have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. 
I believe that we love God because God has loved us first. I believe that our God is in the heavens and that our God does whatever he pleases. And I believe that because of Jesus, all things must work together for my good. Because God is merciful and faithful and his love is greater than my sin. Now, here's the downside of that belief. Because of my belief in the absolute sovereignty of God, often I struggle with prayer. Why should I pray if God has already decided what he's going to do before I pray? How can I possibly hope to change the unchangeable God? How can I possibly hope to move the immovable God? Sometimes when I pray, if I'm honest, it feels like I'm asking God to change the ending of a book that's already been written. If God is sovereign, why pray? Does prayer really change things? Can God really heal the sick? Can God really stop a war? Can God really fix someone like me? That's my struggle. What's your struggle? Why do you struggle to bring everything to God in prayer? Maybe you think to yourself, well, I'm too sinful to pray. I haven't been to church in a couple of weeks and my language has been a little bit rough lately. And if you really were to go through the history of my life, you would see so many sins that I have committed. How is it possible that God would listen to someone like me? Why would God, who is ultimately holy, care to hear the voice of a sinful person like me? Maybe you think to yourself, well, I'd like to pray about this, but really, my needs are just too small. Should I really pray about my Aunt Gertrude's bunion surgery? Does God really care about stuff like that? Does, should I ask God to stop my dog from chewing everything? True story. <laughs> should I really ask God to give me a parking space? A couple of weeks ago, I was reading a book by Paul Miller, his book, A Praying Life, which is, by the way, the best pray book on prayer I've ever read. Paul Miller's Praying Life, I encourage you to read it. It's an incredible book. And in the book, he talks about how some theologians who have written about prayer use almost as a trope the idea of praying for a parking sp space, as if God was much too sovereign and much too glorious and much, he has so much more important things to do than to respond to our prayers for parking spaces. And so Paul Miller asked his mother, Rosemarie, who is in her 90s, whether she ever prays to God for a parking space. And she responded, of course. How else would you get a parking space? <laughs> I love that answer, by the way. There's nothing too minor to pray about. Now, maybe you think, my needs are too big. Can God really cure my cancer? Isn't that what oncologists are for? 
Isn't that the realm of, of chemotherapy? What does God have to do with my cancer? Can God really fix my broken marriage? Don't half of all marriages end in divorce no matter what we do, even Christians or non-Christians? Why would God be concerned with something like this? Can God really save my failing business? Can God really stop all the bad guys in the world, the tyrants and the traffickers and the racists and the rebels? How can God bring an end to this? Can God bring peace in the Ukraine? Can God really bring peace on earth? Can God lower the gas prices? Can God stop runaway inflation? How great is our God? How gracious is our God? Does prayer change things? Does pr prayer change us? Can prayer change the world? These are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we learn to pray with Daniel, a man who literally prayed his way out of a lion's den. A prophet who longed to see the glory of God. An exile in a foreign land who longed for God to bring his wayward people back home. How did Daniel pray? And how does Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9 teach us and encourage us about how we should pray? When people are big and God is small. When God is big and people are small. When you come to the end of yourself, when words fail and you don't know what to pray, Daniel shows us what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. I think Daniel gives us in this rather long prayer, beautiful prayer, three motivations for prayer. Three things that will encourage all of us to pray like Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9. The first thing we'll see is that we pray because we're guilty. The second thing we'll see is that we pray because God is great. And the third thing we'll see is that we pray because God is gracious which might be the most important thing of all. We pray because we need help. We pray because God can help. We pray because God will help. We know that because he sent his only son, Jesus, to rescue us from exile and sin. We are guilty, God is great, and God is is gracious. Are you ready? Let's take a closer look. First motivation, we pray because we are guilty. Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books 
the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, here's the backstory when we meet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was in exile, taken away by the Babylonians in 605 B.C. Nineteen years later, the Babylonians completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the walls, they destroyed the temple, the entire city was left in ruins. Now Daniel, taken away to a foreign land, a land that he did not know, had to learn a language that he did not speak. He was given a name, a Babylonian name, as were his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there, they sought the Lord God as exiles in a foreign land. Daniel was a prophet. He famously interpreted one of King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams without even knowing the dream. God revealed the future to Daniel, including the fall of the Babylonian Empire, the rise and fall of the Persian Empire, the rise and fall of the Greeks and the Romans, and eventually the consummation of God's kingdom under King Jesus, the Son of Man, the ultimate and final Redeemer of God's people. Daniel was a man of prayer. If you look in Daniel chapter 6, you will see that Daniel would pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night, with his face tilted toward Jerusalem, looking forward with hope to the restoration of the city of God. He was a man of faith. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he refused to pray to a statue set up by the great king Nebuchadnezzar, he trusted God, and God delivered him. God shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel came walking out of that lion's den without a scratch on his body. Now, at this point in the story, Daniel is 60 years old. And the mighty Babylonian Empire, this great superpower that they believed would certainly last forever, has fallen. The world's lone superpower has been defeated by the Medes and the Persians, led by King Darius, who made himself the king over the realm of the Chaldeans, that's Babylon. So how did Daniel react to this amazing turn of events? This world-changing uh, history where one nation rises and another falls. Did he post about it on Facebook? Uh, did he take a picture of himself about what he had for breakfast and put it on Instagram? Did he paint a flag on his car, perhaps? No. He prayed. He went to the Lord in prayer. He opened his Bible. He read the Word. He wanted to understand these uh, world-shaking events through the lens of Scripture. And so he asked God for wisdom. He asked God for understanding. 
He says, is now the time, O Lord? Are the 70 years complete? Is now the time where you will bring your people back to Jerusalem, the city that is called by your name? Now that's good advice for all of us. It's good for us to look around and ask, what is God doing in the world? It's good to ask, how does this terrible war in the Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, how does that fit in to God's great story of redemption? Why does war happen? How do we work for peace? How do we explain the culture wars that are constantly being fought in our own nation? Now, most of us, if we're honest, ask for information from things like Fox News or CNN or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or, if you're like me, the Babylon Bee. At least it's entertaining. How many of us open the Bible? How many of us ask God when we're anxious, when we're confused, when we're lost, when we need answers, how many of us go to God in prayer? Now, when we do that, we don't always get specific answers to our questions, though if that is the standard, good luck with cable news, but often we do get special answers as Daniel did here. In Daniel's case, he opened the Bible to the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, we read prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember that Jerusalem, that Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he told the people before it happened, I am going to destroy your city, says the Lord God. I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to take you to a place that you've never been where you'll learn a new language and learn a new culture and it will be ruinous. Why? Because of sin. Because of your idolatry. Because of your spiritual adultery. Because you don't want to be holy. Because you don't want to be different. Because you don't want to love God and you don't want to love your neighbors. You'd rather go with the flow, believing what everyone else believes, and doing what everyone else does. Now, so far, this is bad news. But, if you continue to read in the prophet Jeremiah, you'll see that that's not the end of the story. In God's story, grace is always the last word for everyone who believes. Because God is gracious, he will bring his rebellious people back home. He will reverse the curse. He will forgive our sins. Now, we don't know exactly what Daniel was reading when he read the prophet Jeremiah. Many of the commentators believe that he was reading Jeremiah chapter 25. I believe he was reading Jeremiah 29. If you have your Bible, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll start reading in verse 10, but before we get there, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you're Daniel. 
Babylon, the great empire, has fallen. Persia has risen to prominence. You're up in your upper room. You have your Bible open. Your scroll is open to the prophet Jeremiah. You've been praying to the Lord. And then you read these words. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places that I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What a remarkable promise. It's so remarkable that Daniel, the great man of faith, the great prophet of God, wondered, is this too good to be true? Is the exile really over? Will God really bring us back home? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you ever wonder if the promises of God are too good to be true? Is there really a God who created me? Am I really fearfully and wonderfully made? Me? I'm not a size zero. I'm not a a model or a supermodel. I have aches and pains. I have to stretch before I go get my mail at the mailbox. The pain is real. Is there really a God who loves me after all that I've done? Is there a God who has plans for my life? Frankly, half the time, I wonder if I have plans for my life. Is there really a God who has secured for me in Christ a future and a hope? Why is it so hard to believe that God loves us? Why is it so hard to trust God's word? Why is it so hard to believe in happily ever after? Why is it so difficult to drink the living water? The answer is exile. Like Daniel and all of his friends and all of the people of Israel who have been taken away into Babylon, we are spiritual exiles. Like the ancient people of Israel, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sins separate us from God. Our sins make us suspicious of God. Our sins make us hostile toward God and often hostile to one another. Sin makes us jaded and cynical and homesick, and anxious, and afraid. 
And so the question for Daniel and the question for all of us, the answer that he sought as he went to the Lord in prayer is, is there a way back home? How do we claim the promises of God? How does God restore to us the joy of our salvation? How does God set our hearts free as we live in the time between the times? People who are exiled in our hearts because of our sin. People who are promised glory and joy and everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. The answer is prayer. We pray because we are exiles. We pray because we are guilty. We pray because repentance is the way back home. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with all those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. Now, those are just the first three verses of the prayer. Throughout the rest of the prayer, Daniel will go on to talk about shame, treachery, rebellion, curses, calamity, wickedness. He pulls no punches in assessing the spiritual condition of Israel. It's not good. But notice this. Notice how Daniel's guilt drives him toward God and not away from God. Now, how could that be? Don't you remember the story about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What was the first thing that they did when they sinned? They hid themselves. They covered themselves with fig leaves. They realized that they were naked, open, a blank slate before the Lord, physically and spiritually, and they were ashamed. Why did, why did they hide from God? Why do most of us hide from God when we sin? Why do I hide from God when I sin? Shame is a powerful, powerful emotion. What did Daniel know that Adam and Eve didn't know? What did he know that we so often forget about who God is? That's where we're going next. Our second motivation to pray is that God is great. Daniel prayed because he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed that God is absolutely in control. He believed that it was God who exiled the people because of their sin. Yes, he used the Babylonians to do that work. And yet, as Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 19, you would have no authority at all over me had it not been granted to you from above. 
Daniel knew that only God could exile his people, and because only God could exile his people, only God could bring them back home. With apologies to Bette Midler, God is not watching us from a distance. God is intimately involved in our lives. God is intimately involved with history on a global, worldwide scale. He's not waiting to see what happens. We do. God doesn't. When nations wage war against nations, when innocent people are killed, when thousands of people leave their home as refugees from their homeland, God isn't saying, oh no, what am I going to do? Again, that's what we say. God says, I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. He has power to end the exile And God has the power to stop the war. And God raises up kings. And God brings down tyrants and dictators. And God will, in the end, bring his people home. So what do we do when our lives seem chaotic? What do we do when it feels like the world is out of control? What do we say when we have no words? Like Daniel, we go to God in prayer. We go to the God who has the power to change things. We go to Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of angel armies. We go to the God who spoke the world into being by the word of his power. We go to the God who delivered Israel from the land of Egypt, breaking the bonds of their slavery. We go to the God who delivered African American people in our own country from the bonds of slavery. We go to the God who is powerful and mighty and gracious and good. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. There is nothing that our God cannot do. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen? That was true when you learned it in Sunday school, and it's still true today. That's our God. Verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Sometimes, I ask myself, in my sin and unbelief, if God is sovereign, why pray? Daniel says, we pray because God is sovereign. If God was not sovereign, then prayer would be an absolutely pointless exercise. If God isn't sovereign, no point. Why would you pray to an impotent God? Why would you pray to a God who's sitting next to us, watching and wondering what's going to happen? We pray because God can end the exile. We pray because God can forgive our sins. We pray because God can move mountains. We pray because God can do anything. Can God end racism? Yes. 
Are you asking him to end racism? Can God end the war in Ukraine? Yes, absolutely. Are you asking God to end the war in Ukraine? Can God lower the gas prices? Absolutely. Are you asking him? I can't fix the world's problems. You cannot fix the world's problems. The president of the United States can't fix the world's problems. And I hate to break it to you, the last one couldn't either. God can. God will. He is the king of kings and the Lord of Lord. God can end the exile. God can rewrite your story. God can change your family tree. Ask him. Just ask him. God loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to answer our prayers. That's where we're going next. Third motivation, we pray because God is gracious. Not only can God end the exile, God will end the exile. Not only can God forgive his people, God will forgive his people. Verse 18, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name, Jerusalem. For we do not present our, our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We know that God is merciful. We know that God is gracious. We see it over and over and over again in the scripture. And that grace and graciousness reaches its high point, its zenith, its apex in the person of Jesus Christ. God is so merciful, so incarnate, so involved, so active that he did not spare his only son but graciously gave him up for us all so that in Christ we might be saved. Through Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Through Jesus, we have a new and better Jerusalem, a city of God. Through Jesus, we have a new and better temple, a living temple. The Spirit of God descending upon us and filling us with the Shekinah glory of His presence. Today, now, while we sleep, while we walk, while we read, while we pray. Jesus came to end the exile. Jesus came to bring His sinful people home. Jeremiah prophesied about that coming Daniel prophesied about that coming. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, prophesied about that coming. Seeing Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's what he's saying. The exile is over. No more sacrifices. Here he is. No more guilt. 
Here he is. No more shame. Here he is. No more weakness. Here is the living embodiment of the strength of God. Jesus saves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And he says to us this morning, come to me, all you Daniels and Daniels. All you exiles, all you orphans, all you widows, all you friendless, all you who are nothing in the eyes of the world, you are precious to me. For I have set my name not merely on your city, I have set my name on your heart. You belong to me. Come, all you who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. When we pray, we come as guilty people to a great and gracious God. A God who can help. A God who will help. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Our God is so kind, so gracious, and so loving. There's nothing our God will not do. That's why we pray. We can be saved. We can be changed. God can and will bring his people home. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the promise of the gospel. Thank you, Lord God, that there's nothing stopping you from changing the world. That you are mighty and powerful. But Lord, you look upon the humble estate of your servants. You inexplicably call us blessed. You inexplicably make us part of your people. Lord, we thank you for bringing us home. Lord, I pray that if anyone within the sound of my voice is is struggling with guilt and shame and saying, because of my guilt, I cannot pray. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes and show them that we pray because we are guilty, because you are gracious, because if you can save me, you can save any person. And so, Lord, we ask that you would hear and act and forgive and change us and change our families and change our city and change the world. Bring peace on earth. Bring salvation to those who are lost and strengthen those who have been found by the might of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.